So Matthias, welcome to our German Tech Thank studio. You. Thank you. Great to be here. Welcome to the World Changers in Tech podcast, where we bring you the most exciting, passionate, impact-driven tech entrepreneurs and actors changing the world one tech at a time. Our episodes foster the sustainable development goals to inspire, build, and grow a sustainable future. So get to know your SDGs and World Changers in Tech. My name is Anna Yukiko Bickenbach, and let's get on to today's episode. Why don't you go ahead and tell our viewers and listeners uh, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Matthias Strobel and uh, I founded Music Tech Germany, which is the Federal Association for Music Technology in 2017. I am in the music tech space since 2011. I used to run my own startup that was called Nagual Sounds. And um, during that journey with Nagual Sounds, I got to experience um, a lot of different aspects of the music tech scene and I got to meet a lot of people that work in that space and um, so when I was done with Nagual Sounds or when I left the company I left in 2015 I used to work for Music Tech Fest which is a global community of 7,000 innovators that come from all sorts of industries always um, with the focus to develop new innovative tools for music that um, or, yeah, that is based on technology and um, yeah, so in 2017, I started Music Tech Germany, which is the federal association, um, with the idea to create an umbrella organization that um, takes care of all the amazing people that um, build the tools for musicians to be musically creative and um, to have an economic income. And um, yeah, so during that time, I onboarded um, a lot of startups, but also research institutions um, in the space of music tech. And um, I've now started a new adventure called the Music Tech Directory, which I'm going to talk about later in my presentation. Yes. And um, when we first got together before I started curating the, the event series, um, I thought it was, you know, we were talking about, you know, the things that we could discuss, you know, what does music and tech mean? And I think it's very fitting to have you do the introduction. Uh, with this expansive knowledge that you have and uh, just for for everyone to know kind of the timeline that we're looking at we're going to go through uh, some wonderful slides that Matthias put together to get a deep view of the actual music tech history and uh, towards the end we're then going to kind of talk about the future of music tech which I think is really exciting um, and then a little bit more about you so without further ado I would say we're going to kickstart um, doing our slide presentation and as I mentioned if you guys have any questions while we're going through this feel free to write the question in the Q&A box and I will try to weave it in um, as we go and towards the end we might have some time to actually take a few more questions so Matthias the stage is yours and I will just kind of tune chime in if I think it's right <laughs> yeah so thank you um, I'm going to take you on a journey um, through music tech history I'm trying to make the beginning part of um, the old history faster than the part where we're gonna talk about the future applications uh, um, for music or future innovation or technologies that's gonna influence music and its industry in the future so um, let's start. As uh, this first slide said, like in my opinion and in the opinion of Ellen P. Miriam, Miriam is um, that music has like a strong 
cultural um, meaning for everyone on this planet. I guess there's almost no one that uh, doesn't like music or has a relation to music. So, um, and this means mostly for most of the people that either you are a creative person and you want to create music or you are a person that isn't creative or that doesn't work with music or creates music, then you still want to experience it. You want to listen to it. So the music is basically based on these two pillars, either creating or experiencing music. And um, people since the Stone Age um, have always tried to find new ways of being musically creative. Because like when you don't have any technology, the only thing that you have is your body. And um, with your body, you can do singing, clapping, whistling and stomping. But uh, you don't have anything else to extend your creativity when it comes to music. So the oldest found instrument that we have on this planet is this 43,000 year old bone flute. Oh, wow. That has been found in a cave in the south of Germany in Tübingen. And um, this is the oldest known instrument that people have built. So this shows that already people in the Stone Age have, um, have looked for new ways of um, making music with each other. And even the bone flute in the broader sense is technology. Basically everything that's not whistling, clapping, stomping and singing is um, technology that helps music to, um, to evolve. So when we talk about music and um, the status quo of music that we have today, when we look back in the days that um, was not so far, uh, not so long ago in the medieval age, um, the only way to experience music from a professional was being present in the same room. And um, this was only um, for the privileged people, only people who could afford to go to opera houses or churches or to the to courthouses or wherever music was played. And um, only these people could experience that music. And back in that days, music couldn't be recorded. So music was kind of like a, an art form that um, couldn't be preserved. So it was a super privilege. And when we look at how, where we are today, um, music has evolved. And we, what we're going to see at the end of this presentation is that um, from this picture to the last picture, uh, it's only 200 years, uh, uh, no, not from this picture, from the next picture. It's 200 years that um, have made such a big difference uh, in experiencing music or creating music. And I had a quick question, though. When we look at that last slide where you see, you know, someone performing on a piano with a lot of uh, privileged aristocrats, how many people do you know had access to instruments? For That's a good question. There were also only the people that could afford to buy an instrument or had good connections to people who would build instruments. Of course, over the period of time since the bone flute picture and this picture, a lot of instruments have been invented. And I'm not going to go in all the details of all the different instruments because there's plenty of them. Mm -hmm. But um, of course, you had to have a sponsor that um, you would be able to create music with. And um, of course, people would also tinker around and um, build their own instruments. But to have a professional sounding instrument, you needed to have like a lot of money or uh, connections to people who would build these instruments. Okay, so making music in itself was also reserved for the elite only then. Correct. Okay. Yeah, also like being taught how to play music was something that not everybody could afford. And um, so it was really limited to a certain amount of people. Mm -hmm. It was only in 1857 when um, Leon Scott invented the phone autograph. Um, this, in this is not an instrument and this is not a recording. This is only a recording device. It was never meant or never intended to um, play back the music that um, this, or this machine would record. 
this machine recorded only sound waves in order to use it for um, research uh, use cases for lab laboratories to see how sound waves evolve, how sound waves function. So it was not intended to make it as, uh, as, an, as a machine that could replay music. It was only 20 years later when uh, Thomas Edison invented the phonograph. He used a wax cylinder where um, the music that was recorded um, could be replayed from. And um, still it was super limited and it was super expensive. But already then, a, a, year, uh, uh, a couple of years later, uh, a guy called Louis T. Klaas, who worked at a telephone company, came up with the idea to basically um, create the first streaming service, which is only uh, limited to one record. So what he did is like he built a, a wooden box with one wax cylinder in it. And um, the people you see on the picture um, used uh, stethoscopes because um, loudspeakers and headphones were not invented back in the days. So what he did is he put this wax cylinder in a box and for five cent people could pay him to listen to a music that was not from him. And so he made basically money with um, a form of art that um, he was not part of. Basically, the same thing that happens today with Spotify, Apple Music mm -hmm. and Amazon. Um, they are making music or, or at the same time giving access to music to a lot of people. But um, they're making music and uh, they're making money with um, something that they haven't created. They just provide a platform. So back in the days, uh, the nickel in the slot phonograph was basically the first musical machine that people could get access to sounds. A couple of years later, um, Emil Berliner then invented the chromophone. The difference between the chromophone and the uh, phonograph is that here we have a wax cylinder and on the chromophone it was, um, music was recorded uh, on, a, on a disc. At the beginning it was a rubber disc and um, a couple of years uh, down the road, I think 10 years later, uh, Emil Berliner invented the shellac plate, which was the main medium for a long time. And Emil Berlin also invented the Deutsche Grammophon, which was the first uh, recording company in the world. And um, so basically with the invention of the gramophone and with the invention of the shellac plate uh, and with, his, with him founding the, um, the Deutsche Grammophon, he basically started the business of a recording company, which, uh, which we still have today. Of course, it changed over the years. How now? Just looking at these, I think what is the time span between these two different types? Oh, it's not. It's not long. It's like it's in long. 1877, Thomas Edison invented to... it, and then 80. It's, it's just like it's 10 like, years. It's 10 years. So, um, do you think people did? Did they try to speed up this process of innovation? Do you think everyone was like, "Oh, wow, this is cool. It's something we need to jump on and be part of." This, this was a game changer. The gramophone was a real game changer for the musicians in the music industry. Mm -hmm. And um, what we're going to see in, during this presentation is that a lot of these innovations changed the music industry that wasn't existing back in the days, but uh, the, the scene of music um, for the better. It gave more access, it uh, gave more opportunities for artists to get their music out, to get more people listen to it. So um, yeah, the gramophone was basically the first the first device that people could have at home and could listen to music at home without being present and could collect shellac plates. They could basically find their musical identity by buying music that was pressed on, on shellac. Right, okay. And the recording process back in the days looked like that. So there was a huge cone that the musician had to gather in front of and the loudest instruments were in the back and the more silent instruments were in the front. <laughs> and um, the really difficult thing with this was that um, 
everybody had to play in perfect tune and everybody had to play in perfect um, volume in order to make this record sound good when it was pressed on a shellac plate. So looking at this picture and seeing how we produce music today, it's, um, it's just like a hundred years time that passed and um, it's such a huge difference. I mean, we see it here also with our way of recording, like we're both on mics, but I can imagine when we were testing the mics, <laughs> you know, we're also trying to figure out the right position, but here, um, how interesting that the, the, the ones that were most quiet were in the front and the loudest were in the back just to try to equalize all the tones. Yeah, wow. correct. Yeah. And good Daniel. that you just mentioned the microphone <laughs> because that was the next thing that was invented. It was also invented by Emil Berliner. And in my personal opinion, the microphone is the biggest innovation that we ever had in music because without microphones, we wouldn't have any festivals. We wouldn't have any gathering of people um, that could listen to music simultaneously with, uh, without like being like without and uh, being amplified. Yeah. So we could have had the same thing that we saw in the medieval age, but um, having an amplified music scene like a festival wouldn't be possible with the microphone and all the other stuff that comes from now on basically relies on this innovation that uh, happened in 1891. Let's underline that as a quote by Matthias Strobel, that he, he yeah. made that statement here. It's my personal opinion, <laughs> though. Good, yeah. So, and with the radio, um, with the microphone, the radio was invented, which um, then, of course, uh, gave changed the entire scene because music could be curated, music could be brought into homes, even people who couldn't afford to um, have a record collection could still listen to music, find new music, discover new styles. So the microphone opened a whole new world for, for music. Um, then um, the next big, uh, um, big invention that is not only um, related to the, to the music industry, but more like in a broader sense was um, the Vitaphone. The Vitaphone was basically a chromophone attached to a film projector. <laughs> and this basically um, meant the end of silent films. So from that day on, when they invented the Vitaphone, the Western Electric Spell Laboratories and Warner, um, from that moment on, we had film with music mm -hmm. and sound on it. Mm -hmm. And before that, we had like orchestras playing and live. We had Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, or mm -hmm. pianos or that kind of things. But not all the musicians were happy about that. So in Germany, for example, this is a picture yeah, um, in German, but um, it says that um, 40,000 professional musicians are going to be unemployed because <laughs> of technology. So please don't uh, listen to radio, don't buy gramophones and uh, keep us alive as um, professional musicians. And we all know that this was not the case. So professional musicians still exist. They just have found new ways to um, make music or yeah. work in their field. But a fine definition of disruptive tech. Absolutely. Know, what we've seen like also in the taxi community, et cetera, right? So the, the question is always, where are we going to end up afterwards? It's always yeah. possible. So we see it in this example. It's and nice. it's always yeah. this insecurity and that mm -hmm. not knowing what's going to happen to my profession uh, mm -hmm. when technology comes and disrupts. Uh, a certain field people are always scared because nobody knows where this whole thing's going to develop but um, yeah this is something we still experience today when we have new technology and people are scared about um, all the different the different uh, means of technology that come to life these days yeah um, the next big change and big game changer was um, the invention of the magnetic tape um, this extended the uh, duration of recordings um, by a lot so with the magnetic tape um, it was possible to broadcast um, music in radio stations without having um, musicians present. Before that, in every radio station, there was an orchestra, there were musicians, they were playing live 
through your microphone through the ether into the world and um, that also relates to like the picture before that um, these professional musicians who worked in radio stations were scared that with the magnetic tape um, they wouldn't have any job anymore so um, yeah this expanded the broadcasting possibilities by a lot and um, the, basically the recording studio was born after that because with that um, it was way more easy to store music and to record music then a big jump to 1941 when Konrad Zuse um, invented the programmable computer it's I mean without having a programmable computer we wouldn't have anything that we have today when it comes to creating music so Konrad Zuse doesn't, didn't really invent the computer for making music or writing music programs or music production software but I think that um, his invention had a huge impact on music and access to music and how we handle music these days so I think that uh, he needs to be mentioned in this kind mm -hmm. of look in the history as well um, in 1948, the Columbia Records um, invented the vinyl record, which was way lighter than the Shellac record. It wouldn't break that fast, and it could also be, um, and it was also, it also extended the the duration of, 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 of on the disc. So back in the days, the, the Shellac plate usually was a seven inch playing for two minutes max, and with the invention of the vinyl record. Um, they could store way more music on it and at the same time um, could produce it way cheaper. Mm -hmm. So um, with the invention of the vinyl record, basically the, um, the, recording comp the recording company in a broader sense that we have today was invented in 1948. Then um, in 1953, the transistor radio um, was invented. Um, I can't really call Back, I, I can't really remember the times um, of a transistor radio. I know that my dad had one, but um, the transistor radio also was a big game changer because it um, it kind of like made it possible to carry music around and um, was not only limited to listening to music at home. So you could listen to music in, in a park, in a swimming pool. And it was super important for the entire rock and roll scene because um, in the 50s people would take their, their transistor radio yeah. everywhere and listen to, to music that um, was totally different from that that the radio DJs back in the days would play. Then um, Harald Bode invented the modular synthesizer which um, at the beginning um, was something so new that people didn't really understand what, what this is all about. It was only for a small scene at the beginning but the big game changer that the modulars or the synthesizer in general created was that you could basically replicate any kind of electronic music instrument with just one device. So, and the same thing, a lot of people who played different instruments were kind of scared that um, if people can now play any kind of instrument with a synthesizer, um, their profession would basically not be relevant anymore. What happened is that we still have piano players and um, organ players and that we have all sorts of different players and synthesizers were just an add-on to expand the, the possibilities of creating music, defining new genres and um, yeah, opening up new horizons for music creation. Do you know if you had, did you have any commercial interests in building this? Like what, was it just like an experimental, do you know why he did it? That guy, um, Harald Bode, did it from a research perspective, uh -huh. but, um, and he wrote a paper about that. And then there was uh, Robert Mook who uh, read that paper and um, Robert Mook then um, basically commercialized the entire 
synthesizer scene and um, yeah, helped okay. making synthesizers a, an instrument that everybody could play with and could everybody could buy and access. All right. Um, so then we're gonna jump a bit faster now. We have like the audio cassette in 1962, which um, I think a lot of uh, viewers now still remember. The advantage of that was, of course, that you can you could create your own mixtape, you could create your own music, you could basically sell music on a on a on a on a hardware that was not as 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 big as a vinyl, not as expensive as a vinyl. And you could re-record stuff. Um, you could multi you could use the uh, cassette multiple times. So that was um, a huge game changer. And then Sony is like written in the books as the inventor of the Walkman. But um, the truth is that a guy called Andreas Pavel invented the Walkman, and he's still in. Uh, there, there's still a case running between Andreas Pavel and Sony because they are fighting about the right of uh, the patent of who invented the Walkman and it's still not settled. So, oh, um, wow. but of course the Walkman um, made the next big difference after the transistor radio, because now you could listen to music that you have chosen. You didn't, you don't have to listen to music that a radio DJ presents right. to you. So you are way more free in what you want to listen. And um, of course, uh, carry music around with you and walk mm -hmm. through the streets with whatever mm -hmm. you wanted to listen to. Then um, in 1981, um, MTV was born and um, the music videos were born, which also made a big difference to the music industry and the way we, uh, way musicians produced music, um, marketed music, distributed music, and also how the charts were created. So video played a significant role in um, getting music out and the way people produce videos was um, was related to what people wanted to see. So. Um, Basically, the art of creating videos um, was taken over the art of creating music. People in in the early days often created the music that would fit to a video just mm -hmm. to have it run on MTV. So MTV kind of like changed the way music was produced and music was marketed and um, was also super disruptive um, back in the days. So. so this would be maybe, I don't want to say birth of pop culture, but like, I don't know if that's the right reference. No, say, pop culture we had already in, with rock and roll in the 50s okay. and um, mm -hmm. pop culture, like popular music, um, everything that was popular is right. called pop music. But um, this kind of like... Um, also gave people the opportunity to see the artists behind the music. Right, right, of course. Before yeah. that, it was only a radio or if you go to live concerts. So this made like the, the creator of music more visible right. to the audience, sure. created mm -hmm. a bigger fan fan movement. Then we had Philip Sonsoni who invented the compact disc, which um, made it even more easy to carry music around. And um, we know that um, how this developed and how it ended. Um, in 1987, the Fraunhofer Institute invented the MP3, which I would say um, is maybe as important as uh, the invention of the microphone, just in a different sense, because everything that we see from now on in this presentation um, wouldn't be possible uh, without the invention of the MP3. So the MP3 basically allowed musicians to um, um, to create to restore music that was only um, eight percent eight percent of the original file. The quality of the music master music piece is of course better than an MP3 file, but um, the advantage of um, making a file of music um, transportable and transferable through the internet that would later come um, made it possible that music could be exchanged, <clears throat> music could be easier stored and. Um, other formats of music production could be created. Am I thinking like, is this something you would have had on a floppy disk? 
MP3. The MP3. Like nah, I can't remember anyone having MP3 in a floppy disk. I think the time or the times of floppy disk were over when MP3 was invented because we already had CDs. And um, as far as I, you could store an MP3 on a floppy disk potentially. Okay, but, I guess um, I remember floppy disks back then. I don't know, maybe I yeah, was Yeah, but they were really yeah, small okay. and the storage was also <laughs> right. super small. So okay. you couldn't store a lot of them. But CD was the ma main okay. medium for MP3 CD, at the right. beginning. Mm -hmm. So, and with MP3 coming in, digital audio workstations were basically invented. Um, the invention, the first people who invented this were Pro Tools and Steinberg's Cubase. That was the first digital audio workstations that um, we had out there. These days we have like Logic and Cubase and um, Fruity Loops and lots of other DAWs. And um, that of course changed the way how we produce music um, big time because um, now you wouldn't you didn't need to go to a to an expensive studio rent a space rent a rent a rent a location rent technicians but you could basically record all the stuff and produce all the stuff um, at home with your computer and um, so that was a huge huge game changer when it comes to producing music <clears throat> then in 1995 uh, the world wide web basically came to life and with that came napster and file sharing which the intention was good for file sharing because it kind of like united the entire planet when it comes to music and culture. People were able to transfer files from Africa to Norway to the US to China because it was all connected by the World Wide Web. So what happened is that musicians could learn about um, different musical styles and could exchange music um, with other people that would produce it in a, in a different mm -hmm. way. So a lot more genres were created and um, musicians got a lot more insights in other cultural, yeah, in other music cultures. So from that perspective, file sharing was something that allowed the world to be musically creative with each other together. Right. Then of course, uh, with Napster and with like um, the piracy, how people call it, um, things changed and the music industry, the people who rely on selling the music of artists, they weren't happy about that. So, and we know how all this ended. Um, um, Napster doesn't exist anymore and we have a, a new kind of like way of uh, receiving or accessing music. Um, but still, file sharing and peer-to-peer -peer networks still exist and people still do it. These days we have Dropbox or other um, storage, cloud storage spaces where people can exchange music. But this was um, it was big in, or in in the sense of creating new genres and getting access to. So cultures. they were the first to be able to globalize it, this yeah. peer to peer platform, and create kind of a partnership for the goals, which was you know being musically passionate and kind yeah. and yeah. And you have like what we have today that we have like um, Zoom calls and that we have yeah. concerts that are um, like online. That um, yeah, that all started in 1995 with the World Wide Web. Then, um, then we have um, the first online music stores and music download stores. Um, the first one was in 1993, the Internet Underground Music Archive, which was um, basically um, provided a venue for um, unsigned artists to share their music and communicate with an audience, get feedback on their songs, and basically have a um, space in the web where they can exchange thoughts and um, ideas about music, get feedback. Then the Rhythmotheca was uh, the first um, music um, or music online music store, <clears throat> mainly um, with um, Spanish and Latin music. Mm -hmm. And um, and then in two thousand three, which 
basically changed everything um, was iTunes when they um, then released the iPod. From that moment on, <clears throat> we could buy music for a small amount of money and we could carry it around. And with the MP3 invention, we could actually store tons yeah. of music on such a little device. And when, when you look at that compared to the Walkman or transistor radio, this basically um, gave us the opportunity to listen to music wherever, whenever, whatever we want. Um, and with iTunes as a store providing a huge catalog of music for a small amount of money, people were able to actually pick the music that they wanted to listen to. They didn't have to buy albums. They could just uh, choose the tunes that they wanted to listen to. So the iPod um, actually, what I would say, was also a huge game changer when it comes to access to music and um, sharing music with friends. The, the thousand songs in your pocket. I was very exactly, fortunate yeah. to have it. I don't think it was um, inexpensive, but I do know that in high school then the battle started with how much giga space you have, yeah, people, yeah. right? Because then there was the, the other format, the competition that came in. But okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... After the iPod, um, music streaming was the next big thing, which um, kind of like had two different um, two different time frames. So right. the first one was MySpace, which was not really a, a music streaming service, but rather like a place where people could publish their music, could also get feedback, and um, an artist could be visible. Um, with more information than just the music that you could buy on iTunes. You could also write down what you're interested in, what you're doing. It was kind of like a social network community with um, the idea of accessing music in a streaming way. So you couldn't download from MySpace, but you could still listen to it. And um, the other one was um, Mock, which was a paid subscription service that um, was also invented in 2003, but um, is not alive anymore. Does and MySpace still MySpace still exists, but um, nobody uses it, yeah. and um, okay. it has a different, a different strategy and a different. It's, it's different than it was back in the days. Back in the days, it was a good idea, and I believe that a thing like MySpace would also make sense these days. Um, but of course, we have so many different ways of uh, learning about an artist, um, accessing their music, sharing their music, that um, it would be hard to establish something like MySpace these days. Um, but Back in that days, it was the best thing that could happen to a music community. Sure, yeah. Today we have music streaming, um, as we all know, with all the different providers, um, with all the different concepts of music, which also allows, uh, which also make that bit, big difference in distributing music. So these days, um, you don't have to um, rely on a label uh, or a publisher to get your music out, get it into the stores. Um, you can do it basically all by yourself. If you have a SoundCloud account, you can produce your music, upload it, share it with friends, distribute it on all the different um, streaming services um, with different clients. So um, yeah, as musicians these, day, these days, you can go all the way from all the way the value chain from producing music until distribution and um, yeah, and then mark marketing and merchandising that comes later on. But uh, yeah, music streaming. It's a, it's a double-sided sword, basically. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's good for people who are interested in music, they want to listen to music, and as a marketing tool for musicians to get their music out. But at the same time, as we all know, the streaming services uh, have a weird kind of payout model for artists that um, doesn't help them to sustain a living with their music. So 
in a sense, when we look at the, pic the first picture where only privileged people had access to music, going to music streaming these days, I think it's a huge advantage for all of us that we can listen to music from wherever we want and learn about musical cultures and different musical styles. And with just a couple of euros a month, you can basically access the entire world catalog of music. So I think streaming is a good thing that happened. We'll see where it goes, but um, right. it's not going to go away. I'm pretty sure about so that. So everyone can be involved, but the question is, what are the reaping benefits for those eventually trying to make a living off of it? Yeah. Right. So we'll see. Um, like mm -hmm. Everything is possible. It could be that streaming services are, like these streaming services, especially Spotify, are buying off startups that um, somehow going to benefit their business model. So it could be that Spotify at one point is an entire music production house with publisher label streaming services and all in one in one company. Um, but who knows where it goes? Right. So yeah. So so that, this is exciting. That, that's basically part. where we are today. <laughs> so Matthias, that was a really great rundown. Uh, I think what do we what do we span now? Like uh, very focused, like 300 years of, of music tech history and now we're going to look into the glass ball and Matthias is going to talk about what's next. So I split it in three different categories. What I think is going to have a big impact on the future of music and the music industry and artists and so on. Um, I don't want to like speak about all the different technologies that are coming like AI and blockchain and all that things. It's kind of like all embedded in this entire concept of um, how are we going to produce, distribute, listen and market music in the future. The first one is that music education is something that um, still these days is limited to people who have money, who can afford True. to get to, yeah. to afford a piano, to go to music lessons. And with music apps, um, you can learn music um, way faster. There are apps that can teach you how to play a guitar in two or three months that would have taken you with a teacher way longer and it would be made way more boring because these new apps help to um, to make it more fun to learn an instrument. Right, and accessibility, I think, is yeah. really key. I mean, as you say, here in Berlin, I've looked at music schools. You can't get any music classes for children, for example. Yeah. You know, and then you have to consider the, the price. But I think that's really uh, true and, and interesting. Yeah, accessibility. Yeah, and you can, you can either use the apps for learning how to play an instrument or you, and, or you just use apps that help that make you able to play music and create music there's lots yeah. of music making apps out there that, that you can produce beats with that you can share with other people that you can produce entire tracks with and i know that there's like chart songs that have been in the top 10 that were entirely created with apps and not with any single instrument being involved so yeah music music apps gonna i'm pretty sure that they have a, a bright future and um, they're gonna give more access to music than we have before mm -hmm. there's always this thing that music professionals are saying that okay the more apps we have and the more easier it gets the more mm -hmm. shitty music we have out there and the, the more crap is there but i still think that if you have an app that allows you to make music if you're an amateur it's gonna sound like an amateur and if you're a pro you can get way more out of these apps than than an amateur so there will always be this two different kind of people who are mm -hmm. using these apps. Mm -hmm. Then you have open source um, platforms, like we have a company here in Berlin called Mod Devices that, um, that, create, that create an amazing um, open source platform um, for effects um, that you can use for your music creation process. I am a big fan, a big believer in augmented reality. Um, I'm not sure if these interfaces are gonna... How could you explain that? Like if you, how would you explain it? 
exactly that, the augmented reality interface. An augmented reality is basically an additional reality to the real world that we're having these days. So it's hard to imagine now because w how we can see augmented reality is only through, through our phones. But I, I'm 100% sure that in the future, it might take five or 10 or 15 years, um, we will wear glasses or even contact lenses that um, have a microcomputer built in and allow us to have an additional reality when we walk through this world. doesn't matter if it's concerts where you enter a venue and the entire venue has digital effects mm -hmm. in it or a digital world that um, fits the artist that plays in there or your normal real life that um, is going to be affected by augmented reality with um, having different elements in the real world as a digital element that um, feels just normal to have. Is, is that is the step before that wearables at all? Like, you know, there's some like artists that have like wearables and they're making, you know, music with that. But that's a different story. That's like a you, different yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, it's a totally different story. Yeah. You can you can have wearables without having augmented reality. We already have wearables these days. Um, and musicians use them like um, like Soundbrenner is a, a company in Berlin that um, has created like a, a kind of a, a gadget for your mm -hmm. wrist where you have a metronome and where you have a lot of other tools built in in a wearable that help you while you're creating music. And um, of course, there's like totally a, a big maker scene when it comes to creating wearables that can either be used to enhance the experience at a concert or can be used to um, yeah to use it for the music creation right. itself. So that would, I mean, that's a physical, but when we talk about augmented, then we're going into just literally digital, right? right? That's yeah, where the only digital mm -hmm. stuff. Definitely. And um, yeah, and of course, a, so the, the AI and mm -hmm. music, is, it's a big topic right now. And a lot of people are, or nobody knows where it's going to go, but I believe that AI is going to create a new kind of um, musical world of genres. So, and will also be helpful for musicians to create music. There's lots of different startups out there that help with um, beat detection and help them to find the right loops and sounds from libraries and AI is gonna help a lot with kind of like streamlining this entire right, process. Right. And the last one is like sensor music. Um, we now already have like uh, tons of sensors in our smartphone built-in and we also wear these um, smartwatches which can detect your pulse rate, your heart rate, your humidity, whatever. And um, a lot of, a uh, couple of startups are already playing around with like um, making it possible that um, the music um, reacts to your sensor data. So I can imagine that in the future you might have a, a watch uh, while you are running and um, the music that you're listening to would be related to the to the sensor data so if you're running too fast you will get calmer music and if you run too slow music would be faster to get the best out of your body mm -hmm. and there's studies mm -hmm. that have proven that people who run marathons can win up to 20 minutes with like having the right music on their ears so i know they did this with the eating so the slower the music while you're eating subconsciously you eat slower they did this in cafeterias yeah. and if the music's faster you're gonna eat more because you're eating faster yeah it's crazy yeah, it's music has such an impact on our behavior that um we don't know and before we we move on i mean i don't know if you're gonna address this but the question is whether or not technology is replacing the artist Just no it's never it's never gonna happen like that how, mm -hmm. how should that happen i mean if you're an artist and you want to make music you're gonna make music in the future whatever it takes um, there might be technology that helps artists to open up new doors in order to be more creative but um, i mean technology itself 
is just a tool and um, a technology itself can't be musically creative and emotional and write songs and all that stuff. They could do it, maybe an AI that learn, or there's already like different cases out there where AI learns from back catalogs of music and create their own kind of piece. But um, how would an AI perform on a stage? So you could do it with holograms or with stuff like that. But still, um, I'm 100% sure, or, I mean, it's impossible that um, artists gonna be replaced by technology. It could be that there's certain technology that also creates music, but in the main sense, technology will be there to help artists and musicians to enhance their profession. Because um, without being a, an expert, obviously, but, you know, Jim Morrison, he was saying, you know, I think when the synthesizer came around or he was like envisioning, you know, one day it's going to replace the whole band. So maybe the, the, the question is more people will f like specifically find the genres they want to go into and they'll be like, if I want to make a music with a band, that's going to be different than if I'm the one person DJ up there. So... Right, Is but we had that before with like the professional musicians when the microphone was invented and the the, the magnetic tape. Um, they were also scared, like, okay, fuck, nobody know, needs us anymore. It's the same now. There's new technology, and I can understand that people are scared that this technology mm -hmm. um, could take up space that was owned by musicians so far. But um, it's there's like always space for everyone in, in music, and um, most of the people do music out of a passion and they will still do it. I don't know if there's like, if it gets better for musicians to make a living out of that, but um, making music will be making music. Yeah, so it's opportunity creation yeah. in essence. Absolutely, okay. I understand technology as exactly that. Yeah, wonderful. That's what, what we're here to talk about. Yeah. So. <laughs> so you have new music experiences that um, kind of like develop over the times. Um, there's like smart speakers, as we know, that's gonna definitely influence how we select music. We have a pretty nerdy thing called Algoraves, which is like... Um, what is that? These are like coders, developers, programmers that um, use um, coding language in order to create music with it live. So they are writing codes and they this, these codes create music in real time. So wow. they stand on a stage and instead of like having a, a turntable or having a piano or whatever, they have a computer and they write code and the code makes music. So they don't necessarily have to be like rhythmic like on the drums, but they can be able to just code the rhythm that yeah. they want in case they just don't have that in their blood. Yeah, it's basically giving access to be musically creative for the developers who are not able to play an instrument but have some kind of sense for music and i have a feeling if i ask you oh where am i going to find something like this you'll tell me later right yeah you will find it here <laughs> in berlin there's like an algorave scene but you also find it in like all over the world there's like certain algorave communities already that um that i mean you this is a certain kind of genre and a certain kind of style that you have to like sure okay yeah then you have 3d spatial audio or there's like lots of different um lots of different subcategories when it comes to 3d music um binaural or um there's like this is a space that's gonna develop pretty soon pretty fast because there's already like streaming services providing the technology to be able to hear 3d sounds and um, the problem right now that we're having is that there's not enough content for it musicians have not have not produced enough music for that kind of like technology because they don't know how to do it, because it was not relevant, because they could market it. But with um, streaming services providing this technology, I'm pretty sure that um, we will see more of 3D spatial audio music in the future. Mm -hmm. And it's also um, crucial for any kind of VR game or VR experience to have a real immersive experience. Um, that only happens if the sound 
also is like feels like being in a in a in an right. immersive space. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, this is something that's gonna develop soon. So you have robot music, which is a pretty nerdy niche. Um, people who are um, engineers, um, but also have a big passion for music. They create robots that um, play music. When you talk about um, replacing the artist, this might be a way of uh, replacing the artist, but it's such but a small scene. you still have scene. someone in the background doing it all. Yeah, and somebody so has to produce the music and has right. to write the music. And um, so it's a, it's a niche. Mm-hmm. Virtual reality is something that um, I think will be a great space for virtual concerts. Um, like in games, I'm not a big believer of um, that virtual reality is going to replace um, physical uh, venues or concerts that because you need, you know, like if you go to a concert, you want to have this sweaty person next to you. You yeah. want to have to smell that energy in the room. This is something that virtual reality will never be able to provide. But it's we'll, we will see. I mean, maybe artists will come up with yeah. new kind of ways of um, music that can be better experienced in the VR space. Yeah, so what we experience these days is like live stream concerts that um, um, you can watch concerts online. That's already happening. There's a... Um, it's the same with like the streaming services and with uh, YouTube being invented that there's a big issue with um, clearing rights and um, having the artist who plays the live stream being right. paid. Um, so it's a, it's a tricky, tricky, tricky area. And the last one is holograms. We see that uh, like on some, in some cultures, it's already huge. Um, the, what we see on the picture is Hitsune Miku. It's in South Korea. It's the most prominent pop star over there. And the crazy thing is that, or the good, the, the interesting thing for the music industry is that they have created a fictional character, a hologram that um, doesn't demand any catering rider or any is sick or has any problems because it's a virtual person. So, and you can take this virtual avatar and place it in ten different venues at the same time, have them play a concert at the same time. So right. it's, it's. A huge, huge, huge opportunity for the music industry to make more money out of a, out of a pop star, even though it's just virtual. And with Hitsune Miku, it's especially interesting because the concept with them is that the fans are so into it. It's a cultural thing. I don't believe that it's going to happen soon here in, in, in Europe, but the fans are so much into it that they write the songs for this digital oh. avatar. And um, they are so happy when that song is performed on a concert. They don't want to have any money or anything yeah. out of that. They're just happy if the song is played. So from a music industry perspective, you get people who write you songs so, for free and you can make money with it without anyone complaining about it. So it's kind of like, it's it's mad. So It's like, um, a, it's like a hive, Yeah. right? That and comes together. And yeah, but it's interesting. So I don't know. And you can, of course, bring people to life that are already dead. Right. We've seen it with Tupac being a hologram or with other it artists. It reminded me of like the gorillas. Yeah, maybe that, a that was bit basically what they did, you know, so they could, yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the first one that did it on right. a big scale. Yeah. yeah, true. So and then the last one is like four artists, um, how they can actually maybe um, sustain a living with their art and find new ways of um, making money with their music. And there's lots of lots of lots of technology startups and people out there who build new services and products that um, artists can use in order to um, to either find their unclaimed royalties um, or um, have warm is a perfect example it's a, a startup from Denmark that tracks radio stations all over the world and um, if you're an artist and you want to know if you have been played in a college radio and somewhere in the south of the USA um, this this platform will show you where your music has been played and then allows you obviously to go on tour in the places where you, mm-hmm. you're most popular. 
And um, yeah, blockchain is a big topic that I wanna, don't want to go into deeply because it still, still needs time to develop. And um, of course, there will also new opportunities when it comes to merchandising and to um, knowing your fan better and um, interacting with your fan um, more. So yeah, these are basically the, the, the biggest topics um, when it comes to big data and fan engagement. And what is really important um, these days is that um, most of the, in, in, or basically all of the innovation that um, disrupted the music industry and the music scene in the last 200 years came from outside the music industry. Um, it's important that the music industry and the artists um, start collaborating more with tech people. Mm -hmm. If they build together products and services that help the entire industry, then it's going to benefit everyone. If we have another YouTube or Google um, inventing stuff and um, making money out of the on the back of creatives, <clears throat> of course the creative people are going to complain about that because. Um, they feel like they've been left behind. So I believe that if we start to communicate with each other better and we create programs and, and um, yeah, solutions that help connecting these two worlds, then we can create a music industry of the future that um, um, is benefiting the artists, is benefiting the fans and is benefiting the industry that thrives in. Right. So yeah, and that's, um, that's part of the <clears throat> partnership for the goals, you know, in general. I think yeah. more people can get something out of it if you if you work together and collaborate. So yeah, I like this um, this this kind of like adds to what I just said. It's like um, that Peter Drucker said that back in the days that um, the greatest danger in times of turbulence is not the turbulence itself, but to act with yesterday's lo logic. And um, that's basically it. You need to, we need to get out of our bubble and the thinking that we established over the last um, years and find new ways of interacting with each other and creating stuff. I have <coughs> just created and launched a music tech directory, which I hope will help to um, create a music music scene in the future that is more beneficial for everyone. So on the music tech directory, I invite everyone that is in the music tech space from a hacker to a maker to a startup entrepreneur, innovator, whoever it is, to list their invention on it and um, to make it searchable by creative agencies, artists, music industry people in order to apply the technology that they have developed um, more often and um, yeah, showcase it to the world. It's free and um, it's just started last Friday, but it's going really well. So um, yeah. What's what's the web page so we can make sure oh, we put it in? Directory. And because I also know you have uh, a little event space there. I mean, you know, so you have an overview about everything what's happening, right? right? It's product services organizations, and they're soon to become events and job vacancies. So I'm planning to build like kind of a yellow pages for music tech that uh, everybody can access um, from everywhere. But the domain is uh, musictech.directory. Yeah, wonderful. So I think this kind of summarizes a really, you know, we had uh, about 40, we did this in, yeah, 40 minutes. Oh, wow, basically, that was fast. with the good. intro. So it was nice. fast. So it was a really good rundown. And um, I would, I'd like to thank you for, for coming and doing this it with us. It was a pleasure. You're going to join Matthias on his site. What was the webpage? 
music tech directory and then we're going to do very big applause for to matthias thank you so much for joining thank you. us thank you and and staging the beginning and uh we're looking forward to seeing you again in the future and i think now we have our well-deserved fire and beer wherever you guys are we had a very international audience uh all the way from the uk the us uh holland it was great having you with us and see you again soon auf wiedersehen bye bye That was a wrap here for us at the World Changers in Tech headquarters. Make sure you find us at our webpage, www.german.tech, and subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date and receive exclusive invites to all our event formats. You can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Big thank you from the World Changers in Tech team here at German Tech, where we strive to inspire, build, and grow digital ecosystems for a sustainable future. Continue on on our SDGs and World Changers in Tech. And tune in soon.